Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 200th broadcast of research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Before I introduce the topic for tonight's show, I'm asking for a moment of silence to offer condolences and prayers to the family members experiencing the loss of their loved ones, the Congregation of Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, and the people of Charleston, South Carolina for the senseless massacre last night of nine church members. Amen. Well, how many of you have attempted to interview your relatives and struggled to find the right questions to get the answers that you are seeking? Well, the ultimate family history interview primer is the guide for you. The author of the ultimate family history interview primer is Nika Smith. Nika's energy, enthusiasm, and passion for genealogy research is infectious. I have attended her lectures and she brings to the table knowledge youthful wisdom, and a different approach to encouraging individuals of all ages to record their family history. Nika Smith is a professional photographer, speaker, and documentarian with more than 16 years of experience as a genealogist. She has extensive experience in African ancestor genealogy, reverse genealogy, and family reunion planning and execution. She is also an expert in genealogical research in the Northeastern Louisiana area, sharing genealogy with youth, documenting the ancestral journey, and employing the use of new technology 
in genealogy and family history research. So let me give a warm welcome to Nika Smith to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Nika. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Well, Nika, I just have to begin this question because I have looked at the Family History Interview Primer. And, and just please tell us, why did you decide to write the Ultimate Family History Interview Primer? The main motivation behind this publication was really um, from personal experience. I had the opportunity to interview my father-in-law last summer um, as a result of my son being born last year. My father-in-law was really interested in having his life documented and him being able to share things that he learned along the way or experiences or things like that with my son. Um, and, you know, just in case he's not around for his entire life, he wanted him to be able to see him speaking and talking about his life and experiences. And not just my son, but all of my, my uh, father-in-law's grandchildren, um, his children. You know, it was pretty much uh, uh, whatever you want to put on the table to ask, you can ask it now. And so um, in me doing research for that particular interview, I, I noticed that I wasn't finding comprehensive guides towards family history interviews. Uh, it would be one set of questions that was specifically focused maybe just towards the genealogy aspect, but it wasn't covering an entire lifespan. And so um, as a result of me searching for something like what I produced, I ended up producing a document. And so that, that was the motivation and the, um, you know, the, the inception of, of what this document has become. Well, I can certainly see a new life in your family motivating you to do something for him. And so congratulations Thank to your you. new son. And, um, and so tell us about the primer and help us understand the various sources that you reviewed prior to actually writing this primer. So um, basically the uh, basic setup is it, it's set up for someone who may not necessarily have an intent interest or an extreme interest in genealogy. The, a person may just want to interview someone, um, whether it's for a book, um, whether it's for a blog posting, I mean, a number of different things. And so I start off by basically talking about family history, research, genealogy, what are the differences between the two. And then I go into discussion about tips on interviewing. Um, and, and then from there, um, I discussed the sources that I used for the document. Um, some of them were just run-of-the-mill questions that people have posted online, um, you know, for family history interviews. Um, I used um, books as well. I have a couple of books myself, um, one of which is where you're supposed to document your own life, and you do it in stages. So you, you start, of course, with the beginning part, then you have the middle, and then you have your later years, and it's just random questions that you get asked. And then I also have another book that's amazing where it allows you to document every day of your life for five years and your responses to the same questions. And some of those questions that I found in that book I thought were very valuable for family history research. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, as I mentioned before, a lot of the questions that I was finding for family history interviews, they weren't all encompassing. 
So I wanted to include things like military experience, work experience, religion, spirituality, all of those things, because if you really want to get to know who a person is, you're going to ask them questions about all those facets, not just about their family history. Right. And I, there's already, already two comments coming out of the chat room. True uh, mentioned that her first ones, meaning her first interviews, were very personalized. But she was winging it with oral history interviews because nothing was out there. And then she also mentioned patience. Uh, the ability to listen is certainly one of the key elements that people need to take into consideration when they want to sit down and interview someone. What's your thought on that? Absolutely. I think, especially as family historians and genealogists, we get so caught up in getting a particular question answered that we often disregard some of the other comments that are made during an interview and we don't put, pay our full attention. Um, There's the, something in the genealogy world um, doing research that I can compare this to um, that you know most folks can understand is when you go to a courthouse to go and do research and you, you know, most people who are going in to look at mortgages and deeds or anything else that has an index, you're going to comb through the index for names. Now, some people choose to look for a name, they find information, they see it, okay, I'll pull the book out then. Others of us, like myself, I go through the entire index document, anybody with any surname that I find, and then once that process is done, then I go and pull books and then actually go and look at licenses and look at deeds. The reason why I do that is because what if I lose, my, what if I lose track of time? and I run out of time, and I know that the records themselves are uh, index, or not, not just index, but they're microfilms, I can go back home and look at those things because I've already got the book and the page done. If I was short-sighted, I would have just paid attention to just getting every single license every time I found it, find it, found a hit. And so I bring that up because when, when people are talking and we hear them say, my mother's name was this, we, we, we get up a block and it's almost like we would be if, if we found that one record in the index and we went and, and looked directly at the license versus getting all the information up front as much as you can and then going, you know, uh, being more methodical about it. So I 110% agree with the fact that we need to listen and that in my experience, it's better to just do the interview, get your questions out, you know, maybe get into more detail and ask more questions as time, go along, as time goes along. And then when you're home, transcribe and really listen to what the person is saying versus trying to get it all out later. Yes, but also, I mean, this is a pretty comprehensive uh, document that you've put together. Help us understand the structure of the interviews and also the length of the interviews. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Um, the way that, that the guide is set up is set up in, into seven sessions or seven interview, you know, um, opportunities. Um, when you start at the beginning, it's the easier questions. It's things that, you know, pretty much anyone that you, that you come across would be able to answer them with ease. And then as the sessions go on, the questions get more, more um, detailed or more possibly more emotionally involved. Um, and the reason why I set it up this way is because as family historians and genealogists, we need to be cognizant of the fact that, yes, you know, our family technically owns this information that we're getting, but we're asking people some very personal things. 
And some folks are just not that open. And so you have to sit down and develop a rapport with the person that you're interviewing. You can't just come up to them and say, well, you know what? I heard your father is not who they said it is. Can you tell me who that is? Without actually spending the time to get to know the person, you know, find out how they tick, you know, what they, what their mannerisms are like when they get uncomfortable, you know, all those things. If you actually invest the time in with someone, it won't, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll be able to pick those things up. And so that's one of the reasons why the questions get a little bit more detailed, harder, or um, just, you know, more emotionally charged um, towards the end is because that, my intention is that you start with session one and you end with session seven. Um, in terms of length, I mean, you know, one question can take an hour. It depends on who you're talking to. The person loves to talk. You could spend an hour just on the first question or the first five questions. So um, ideally, I thought that you should be able to cover um, the topics or the, or the um, questions and the answers at, in an hour time span. Um, that, was, that was my metric. And when I did this with my father-in-law, we actually knocked out the first four sessions at one time um, because once we got going, he just was like, yeah, let's keep talking, let's keep talking. Um, so for some people, it may be, you know, an hour, maybe not enough time. For some people, maybe more than enough. So, yeah. Right. And there's a, a comment coming out of the chat room from True, and she said, well, personally, she had to build trust and time in her, in the elders, just, not just for the interviews, but just that trust over, maybe sometimes over several years. Uh, but Absolutely. what you're what I'm picking up from you, though, is that it is it is definitely important to first establish that that rapport, so that individuals mm -hmm. understand. I mean, why you're conducting the interview? Do you upfront state your goals and why you are uh, engaging them in a dialogue about their lives? Absolutely. Um, I feel, especially with the amount of privacy that we've kind of lost. Some, in some ways with the internet and things like that, people are very hypervigilant about their privacy being invaded. And especially with, with, the, with the nature of the things that may be discussed, you definitely want to, to have that trust built and established with folks. And, um, you know, and it, and it doesn't come overnight. You know, for, for some folks, it, it may take you going over to their house or, or, you know, scheduling phone calls with them on a continual basis in order for you to be able to build that rapport and build that trust between the two of you to where they, they just are open book and they don't mind sharing sharing things with you. Yes, I, you, you're right. That means sometimes it, it takes a while to get that. Now you mentioned something about getting the interview and then transcribing the information once you return home. Well, how are you documenting what you're gathering? So in my instance, um, you know, before I developed this guide, I would always document things that I heard when talking to my elders, when I made my periodic phone calls to them. And I would just have a notepad and I would put the date, you know, the name of the person, um, sometimes even the time that I spoke with them, and I'd write down whatever details that they gave me. And I would end up sticking these into a folder that I called just interviews. Um, and after a period of time, I, I thought, okay, well, what's going to happen when my research, you know, leaves my hands and it gets bestowed to someone else in my family? What if they can't read my handwriting? Well, as in that instance, okay, I need to transcribe my interview. So what I would do is send my notes, but someone else doesn't. So I would make them into sentences. I would put them from the perspective of the person who was giving the information. 
you know, so that it was more personal, um, you know, because when they say my father's mother, a person who is, is, is reading that later is like, well, who's their father's mother? I would put in parentheses, you know, uh, John Smith or, you know, uh, or Joanne Smith is, you know, is the mother um, so that you can, you know, make the correlation back to the person. Um, you know, if there was any additional research that I had done on, on a particular topic that the person was talking about in their interview, I would include that later just as sort of like an end note, like, okay, I looked this up, it happened around this time, just so there's context for it. Um, and the other thing that I did, too, and this is just because I have a fear of losing everything, is once I transcribed all the interviews that I had done at that particular point in time, I made them into a PDF and I emailed them to someone else. This was before cloud storage. So that if my computer failed, if I lost all my notes, someone else who did not live in the same state as me had access to my interview transcription. Right. Now, how do you get around uh, beginning your interview with your paper and pad or your recorder so that people so, are not uh, intimidated? Yeah, so I think um, one of the things that one of the things that I've learned, and this is because I have training in communications and journalism, is if you get the recorder out early, meaning before, perhaps even before you sit down and actually start interviewing the person. So let's say me and you were talking in your dining room, Miss Bernice, and I'm going to interview you. I come over to your house. You let me in. You're like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we're just chatting. And so I'll say, okay, um, before we start the interview, I just want to let you know I'm going to, I'm going to um, audio record it. Is that okay? I get permission to audio record it. And, you know, you say, okay, all right. I'm assuming you'll say, okay, all right. <laughs> um, and so if, uh, once that happens, at that point, it's typically when I will put it down on the table or wherever I am. The reason why I do this is because it then removes it from the person's mind. It's not the front of their mind anymore. Sometimes when people see a recording device, they clam up. They, they get intimidated. They, you know, they, they, maybe they become shy. There's a number of different emotions a person can have. And so usually when you get it out of the way early, a person will then forget that it's even there, and it and allows them to speak more freely. Um, same thing with the notepad. I'll just put it out. I won't actually start taking notes. Um, for a little while just so the person knows and is comfortable with the fact that I'm holding a pencil and I'm writing down things that they're saying. With the recorder, with an audio recorder, um, you can actually, you know, you, you can start talking and you guys can just be talking about something else and then you just naturally flow into the interview. But definitely let the person know that they're being recorded either by written hand or video. Of course, video is a little bit more obvious, um, but definitely um, with an audio uh, recorder. Okay, and there's a question coming out of the chat, and it's just asking, how would the process of what is the difference in the process during an oral interview for a one-place study? What, what, what are you doing there, or is there a difference in the process? I don't think there is a difference. I think if I'm understanding the question correctly, if somebody is doing an interview on a particular location, like let's say I'm doing research on um, Avoyas Parish, Louisiana, and I'm collecting all the stories of, of African Americans in Avoyas Parish regarding their, you know, experience with segregation, and I'm sitting down and I'm interviewing everybody about those things. If you're, if you're doing it from that frame, if you're just audio recording, or if you're video recording, you're going to ask the exact same questions to all those people. Because if you're putting together a video or a podcast or whatever, 
you want to you want to be able to have a different um, number of, of of responses to the same question, but you don't want to you don't want to get in too granular to where when you start the editing process later, you're it's not clear what you ask. Um, so mm-hmm. I would say um, it, it's, it follows the same process as when you're preparing for just an interview with the person. Um, you want to be clear. You want to be concise. You want to have your plan of execution well thought out and documented. Um, and, and, and just be, you just want to be deliberate with what you're doing before you get in front of the person. You know, I mean, anyone that has looked at the news, you know, unless there's breaking news and they, and they pick up somebody on the street, and even when they do that, um, there's some planning that's gone beforehand. They know why they're talking to the person. They know the type of questions that they're going to ask. Um, it's not just, oh, let me, let, me, let me think on the fly. It's very rare that they do that. Right. Now, I have a question for you. Now, there, there's one question coming out of the chat, and it relates to, let's say, you asking if you could use your recorder. Suppose they refuse. Then what do you do? If they refuse to allow you to use your recorder, then I would then go to my next backup method, which would be, would you, can you, uh, am I allowed, you know, will you allow me to take notes? If the person then refuses for you to take notes, then my suggestion to you is that you uh, perhaps stop the interview, and if someone's not there with you, see if you can have someone come with you. And, and maybe do the interview later. The reason why I say this is if a person won't allow you to record um, and they won't allow you to take notes, having a second person there, the other person's going to pick up on things that you, that you don't or is going to remember things that you don't. Um, it's sort of a fail-safe. Now, if the person then says, well, they don't want another person there, um, they, don't want to, they don't want it to be recorded and they don't want any notes taken, then it's on you to remember everything that they say um verbatim and that that can be hard i mean you know we want to talk about crimes and and things like that when they go in and interview witnesses or one of the things that they use less often when it comes to convicting person of a crime and and, and a, a going through court for that are eyewitness testimony because people's people's perception of things is one thing and then what they remember is something else and so, you know, we're, we're, we're human, you know, we're not perfect. So there may be things that you don't remember exactly how they said them. So that's one of the, that's one of the benefits of being able to record. But if you don't have that luxury and the person is resistant towards other things as well, you're just going to have to commit it to memory. <laughs> right. Now I, I have an example of something I did and I want your reaction to it. I had a, a list of questions that I wanted my mother to ask answer. And so I sent them to her in advance so that she could give some thought to what she wanted to say, because she has a tendency of telling stories. And I knew that she would go all over the place. And so I just Mm -hmm. sent them to her in advance so that when I sat down, she already knew what she needed to say. And then I could follow up with that. Now, have you ever tried that as a, as a, a way of priming your candidates, if you will, your people history. Absolutely. So so pre-planning, one of the things I talk about in the in the primer is pre-planning and being deliberate with what you're doing. Right? We don't just, you know, it, it's one thing when a person just has documents and and, you know, um, printouts of census reports and things like that versus them actually taking the time to, to enter the information into a database and being deliberate about how they're capturing the information. With an interview, it's the exact same way. You know, you want to know what makes your interviewee tick. You want to, you want to, you want to know: Do they go off on tangents? 
And if they go on tangents, how do I wrangle them back in so that we can get back to the content? And sending, and sending them the questions beforehand is absolutely perfect. It's absolutely perfect. You know, I actually asked, you know, my father-in-law when I sat down and did his interview, I said, do you want to see the questions beforehand? He said, no, he didn't care. He, he was perfectly fine with it. My mother, on the other hand, she probably would want to see the questions, you know, or other people in the family would probably want to see the questions ahead of time. But at least it gives them an idea of what you're going to ask about so they can be more focused on their, in their responses. So, yeah, I, wow. I advocate for doing that as well. Mm -hmm. and, and do you also uh, determine where you go with your questions based on the age of the interviewer, interviewee? Absolutely. 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 Um, I think that, in fact, I, that's another that's another tip for pre-preparation is making sure that your that your interview questions are framed from the from a perspective that the interviewee can answer them. You know, um, I won't necessarily if I'm doing an interview about technology, unless it's from the perspective of somebody who's watched technology evolve over time. I'm 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 not gonna answer ask my grandmother questions about apps. My grandmother has no idea what an app is. See, I mean, the the whole idea of a mobile phone for her is, I mean, it's something that's crazy because this is somebody who grew up without indoor plumbing or electricity in their home. Mm -hmm. You know, so you know what I mean. So why would I question her about that? You want to make sure you're age appropriate, um, or and that you're your era appropriate when it comes to your questions and how you frame them and. And um, and you know to get the best responses, right? And is your primer set up in such a way that you could adjust the questions to the individual? Absolutely. Um, there, there's you know, it's definitely not meant to be a all intents and purposes perfect document that's going to fit every single scenario. You can you can adjust as needed um, for for any of the questions that are there. You know, I mean, it, it could be a difference in in space or location or um you know time period whatever but but the the main the main thing is that you're trying to get to the crux of whatever it is that you that you're trying to find out you know what's the main point that you're trying to unearth or what's the main thing that you're trying to unearth by talking right. to this person so give us an example of some of your questions um in particular today you know especially with the event um, that took place in Charleston, something, you know, as close to my heart, um, I'm thinking about as a worship experience, um, uh, you know, in terms, in terms of just, um, you know, church, synagogue, mosque, whatever, what, what is, you know, what makes a person tick or what, what, what can they tell you about their religion and their spirituality? Um, and questions that I have that are there are, you know, what was the religion of your parents and your grandparents? Um, what institutions, if any, did you attend as a child? Describe what the building looked like. Um, what are your first memories of, of your religious life? Describe a typical, you know, day in worship when you were young. Do you recall any humorous or unusual events that took place? And, to, and, you know, yesterday evening would be one of those times where an unusual event took place. Um, you know, did any family member serve at the location? What role did they have? Um, what are memorable events in the life of the church? Um, what did you think about, um, you know, the concept of heaven and hell? You know, it's a number of different things that you can do in terms of perspective with regards to religion, um, spirituality, 
um, purpose and identity, and that's the name of that particular session. That's session five. Okay, so we're going to take a break. We we got a good idea of what you know session five would look like. We're going to take it back to uh, setting the stage in session one, and you and have you kind of walk us through the various sessions. Okay, but let's take a quick break, everyone, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. And I'd like to, hold on, I'm having a sound problem. Okay, welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. And you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded through Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Well, I want to make a quick announcement about tomorrow. Please log into the discoverfreedman.org website for a special announcement concerning the Freedmen's Bureau indexing project. The announcement will be made at 10 a.m. Pacific time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Central, 11 Mountain. So you have been listening to Nika Smith discuss the ultimate family history interview. I have opened the lines for anyone that would like to call in, but let's go back to the primer because Nika, you told us what kinds of questions you would ask in the fifth session, but what about the first session? Just what questions would you raise? During the first session, this is really when you're really establishing you know, you're setting the stage. That's the reason why I named it that. You're getting the very basics for the person, what their name is, um, you know, what, what, where were they born, um, how the family get there, were there other family members in the area, who was there, um, you know, did the, your parents own the place that they lived in or that you lived in or was it rented? Were there any special items in the house that your family um, had? Do you have a nickname? What was it? Why were you called that? 
Um, a number of other things like, you know, what does your family call you now? Uh, information about school, um, where you went to school, subjects that you like. Um, and, I mean, it's a number of different things, but it's really easy questions that anybody can answer. And it, it's really made so that, or it's established so that you can, can really build a rapport, build the trust with the person before you start asking them, which, you know, the harder questions. And these seem like very non-threatening questions. Absolutely, absolutely, and that—that's the intention and the point is to—is to not ask the non—is to ask the non-threatening questions early. You want to be able to establish that trust before you come in and say, "Okay, I was told your father wasn't this person. Who is it?" You don't want to start with that question. <laughs> it seems very confrontational, or it may seem very confrontational with a person or to a person. Oh. Yeah, also it sounds like uh, open-ended questions, which means you, you do give them an opportunity to just respond the best way they can without you kind of putting the words into the interviewee's mouth. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's the last thing that you want to do, um, you know, because that would, in some instances, that would be making an assumption that you already know what the story is. And then it's like, well, then why would you sit and interview the person if you already knew everything? Yes, right. So take us beyond setting the stage. Where are we going with the next set of questions? So the next set of questions in session two addresses childhood and development. And with that section, we're talking about things like, you know, what were your chores growing up? Um, did you get an allowance? Um, what were fads, you know, like clothing and hairstyles, things like that? Did you have any pets? Um, were you ever mentioned in the newspaper? Um, you know, childhood memories, what kind of games did you play? Um, you know, just things that are, that are surrounding childhood and the, and the developmental years that a person would have. Okay, and uh, how, about how many questions do you have in that particular uh, section? In this, um, in session two, there are um, 16 questions, and in session one, there are actually 22. And, you know, the number of questions really, um, some people would say, well, why are there six more questions in session one than session two? It's be, it depends on what's being asked, because some of these things, especially in session one, are just really one-off. You know, you can get it out in one sentence uh, in terms of the answer. But when you get to session two, it's a little bit more complicated, you know, or, or more intensive. Um, so, you know, the number of questions um, is, is actually shorter on purpose. Um, so, yeah, that would be the reason why um, there would be a difference in the, in the number of questions. Right. Now, uh, a comment that's coming out of the chat, which is, which is interesting, about some of the questions. This is true. She said sometimes she would get a call back and someone would think about it a little bit and say, remember that question you asked? and then give a little bit more information. Have you ever had that happen to you? Oh, absolutely. And one of the, one of the things that we do in my family, especially with the elders that I speak to on a continual basis, I tell them to have a notepad that's just a notepad that you keep notes on for me. And what I mean by that is, you know, we may be in the throes of a really good conversation and we're talking about all this stuff, but it may be a detail or something that you know you remember, but you can't really call it up while we're talking. And, you know, when it comes to mind, head to the Nika notebook and write it down so that the next time we have a conversation, it won't be, you know what, I was thinking and I was going to tell you then and I don't remember what it was. You'll have it right there. Um, one of the one of the main reasons why I have a Nika notebook for my mom is because this 
scenario happens with her. But my grandmother, who's going to be 99 years old in August, she lives with my mom. And sometimes they'll just randomly start talking about a subject, and my grandmother will begin to call up things that she's never talked to my mom about. So my mom will just go to the notebook, write it down, and then the next time we talk, she'll say, oh, well, your grandmother was talking about this, this, this. I mean, my mother has bullet points, but she's ready to go. <laughs> so, Oh, I love your mother. Oh, that's wonderful. I know. So, I, so my suggestion is when you go to do an interview with a person, invest. don't spend a whole lot of money if you don't have it, but invest in a notebook for them. Maybe that's their parting gift. Thank you so much for sitting with me, giving the time, giving me your time to interview you. Here's a special notebook just for you or a journal just for you. And, and it, you know, if you don't journal or if you don't necessarily have another purpose for it, write down things that you didn't talk about with me today or that you maybe want to talk about later. And in that way, that, that can be something that you all can share together um, later on. Oh, I love it. I love it. And you know, remember I mentioned to you earlier that I sent my mother some questions. Well, my mother passed away about five years ago, but I still go back and look at the notes she wrote on notes. So it's great to know that you're asking people to just write because you you, mm -hmm. you end up with a diary uh, with responses to things that they thought of later, which is wonderful. That's a very good idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't even tell you. I mean, it's it's so funny. Um, the number of, of elders that I have that, that actually started doing that. Um, and, and then it's so funny. Now I've gotten to the point where I call them so often till, you know, I, especially my mom, she always goes, you just make me remember stuff that I thought I forgot. <laughs> like it's my fault because I ask so many questions, but that's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing. Well, I have something funny. <laughs> this is Family Tree Girl, and she said that uh, she has a notebook at her chair where she sits every evening just waiting for something to come out of her mom's mouth. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, yes, absolutely. That, that's the way to do it. If you, especially if you live with an elder or they're, they're easy to get to, Oh yeah, that's the best time. You know, is just sitting there and and you know, just in random conversation. I know that's what my grandmother does. She just she just brings stuff up and and we all just sit there like, "Wow, where did that come from?" Oh, yes. Oh, but you know what? When I used to get everything would be when we were in a car. Soon oh, as yes. we would get in the car, my mother would start with these memories. I mean, things that I would want to stop driving and start writing. And I wouldn't have the tools that I needed. I wouldn't have a recorder with me. So what would you recommend to people? You know, we're having this conversation, but you know, we gotta look at every opportunity possible when information is coming to us. Absolutely. I think um, if you have a mobile phone, most mobile phones come with a voice recorder. And if I was driving and there was someone else in the car who could activate this for me, or maybe if I had Siri, you know, hey, Siri, turn on the voice recorder, I would start the voice recorder. And case in point, we talk about the car. The way that I cracked the case on the last slaveholder for my family was because of a story my grandmother told in the car. It wasn't just a regular car ride. We were leaving a family reunion. My grandmother chose not to tell the story at the reunion. She told to tell, to tell the story in the car with me and my sister and my mom leaving the family reunion. And she just starts talking about this random person, and I didn't know who she was talking about. So here I am in the backseat of the car, rummaging for paper. 
and I'm writing down everything she's saying, everything she's saying, and, and it ended up getting us back to my fourth great-grandparents. At that time, I only had names for my great-great-grandparents, and these, these fourth great-grandparents were people who lived and died as slaves. They were never free. So, um, you know, that car ride, oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, that that's, I mean, especially if you're driving, you can't take notes. You can't, you may not necessarily be able to turn on the audio recorder on your phone. Um, so, I mean, that may be one of those situations where you're going to have to commit to memory and pray, you know, hope and pray somebody else is in the car with you. So just in case you miss something, they can, they can recall <laughs> the mine or they can take, or they can take some notes or turn on their own, you know, recorder, uh, you know, to, on their phone to help. But uh, yeah, I, I it, use any means that you can. For some people, an audio recorder might be too might be too much for them. Maybe they just want to have a um, a notepad, and that's perfectly fine. There is no you know right or wrong way to document it. You want to go with what works for you, and what is 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 ergonomic or affordable for you. Some people may be able to spend some money on a digital recorder. You know that's okay. You know, but at the same time, especially when you're using technology, you want to be mindful of the file types that get created by your audio recorder or your cell phone, making sure that you maybe save the files in number of formats because, you know, think about eight tracks or, or even a cassette tape and the fact that we don't even use cassette tapes anymore. And, and at some point, if you don't have a, a recorder or a device that plays that tape, you're going to have to get it digitized or sent somewhere for somebody to be able to digitize it into a format that you can actually listen to it again. So you want to be careful or cognizant of file types, things like that. Um, you know, the good old paper and pen, that doesn't go out of style. You don't need something special to play that. So, you know, that's probably the most foolproof, you know, uh, a documenting um, device. But um, I do give a suggestion in the guide on, on an audio recorder. It's one that I use personally. The sound quality is absolutely amazing. Um, and it's, it's, it's like $100. It's a Zoom recorder. Um, and it, it has it. One of the things that I like about it is it has an, a line in or a, a headphone jack so that you can, um, it's got a headphone jack so you can listen to the background noise or anything else that might be picking up. And then you can also uh, put a line in into it so you can actually connect another, like an actual handheld microphone to it as well. Or you can just use the recorder itself as a, um, as you know, as a microphone. Right. Okay. Now I'm, I'm looking at session three because you, you break it up into immediate and extended family. So tell mm -hmm. us about, about session three and where you would, encourage people to go with the questions you're asking this particular session is set up for um this is talking about immediate family being not this not the created family from the interviewee what i mean by that is i'm talking siblings parents then when we move into your family or the interviewee's family we're talking about the interviewee's children grandchildren you know, sons and daughters-in-law, great-grandchildren, all that kind of stuff. So that that's the distinction between um, session three and then, um, you know, between the immediate family and extended family um, or your family, so to speak. Um, and, and with this particular area, um, there are uh, 19 questions that are there to, that, that are asking about the immediate and extended family, such as things like, um, do you remember hearing your grandparents describe their lives? And what did they say 
um, to other things like um, are there any recipes that have been passed down um, to your family? Um, and then it goes into questions that are specific to the interviewee's parents. And it's, you know, framed from the perspective of questions about the mother or questions about the father. Um, what do you remember um, about the day your, uh, your mother died, if a person's mother passed away? Um, describe um, one of your mother's personality traits that you admire. Same thing for the father. Um, and that's the thing. You want to be cognizant of the person you're interviewing. Know and understand, did they grow up with both their parents? Or were they possibly raised by another family member? So when they, when they respond, if they were raised by an aunt and uncle, know that when you're capturing things that they're saying, it's about an aunt and uncle, a biological aunt and uncle, who became a adopted mother and father versus the actual biological parent. Right. Yes, indeed. Now, I, I noticed you have one question, which reminds me of the question that I was asked by my nine-year-old granddaughter. You have a question, when did your family first get a television? And let me tell mm -hmm. you the question I was asked. What kind of tablet did you have when you were a little girl? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it wasn't a mini pan. It wasn't a mini iPad. <laughs> Exactly, and it's and what's so funny is, you know, my one of my my family members joke that the kids that come out of the out of the womb now they it's like they have devices attached to their hand and they can swipe and you know do all these gestures and things like that like they automatically come out and and I I, I honestly think that that's true and that's why I think your your granddaughter was perfectly she was she was right on the money asking what kind what kind of tablet you had and and television is the same thing. You know, predating TV, what type of radio does your family own? Predating radio, what type of records did your family have? What type of music did they listen to? You know, this is being cognizant of the era of the person that you're interviewing. That's right. That's right. I mean, we're getting all kind of funny responses. Uh, the one with the Indian chief and the thin little blue lines on cheap paper. I remember that one. <laughs> we're talking yes. about paper tablets. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. yes. Or or those uh the composition books. I don't even think uh people use composition books anymore. You know what I mean? The ones with the black cover and they have all the paper on the inside. You know, and, and even then when I was in college, we still used those those blue those blue books. If you had a um a, a test that needed to be taken where it was all written, the pa the teacher would pass out a blue little blue notebook or it's not even a notebook it's like um it's like saddle stitch where you know it's staples a couple staples and you'd have to write your entire essay out in that little blue book now they don't even use those anymore everything's online <laughs> everything everything's online so let's get to session four because it looks like the questions are getting a little bit more personal and a little bit more complicated so Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Session four, because I, I guess everyone is understanding that all questions are not being asked at the same time. It looks like it's oh. several sessions that you're going back and you're just building yeah. on the questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very focused um, sessions that are particular to a particular, you know, to a subject matter. So for session four, we're talking your life and your family. And as I just said earlier, this is not the interviewee's parents, siblings. This is 
if the interviewee has children or a significant other and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you know, those types of things. So with regard to some of the more, you know, kind of uh, more complicated questions, it would be, if you had to do it all over again, would you change the way you raised your family? What wow. did you find most rewarding about being a parent? Um, you, you can even go back to what do you believe is the key to a successful marriage? Now, some people are like, what does this have to do with genealogy? It may not necessarily have to do with, with genealogy off the top, but if a person answers, you know, that what I feel is, you know, makes the key to a successful marriage is trust and honesty. And it's because I saw that built between my parents. One time my parents had an experience where X, Y, Z, that's going to fold in, that could possibly fold into your research. Because what if the person starts bringing up locations that their parents were in before they had children that you had no idea those people lived in? So, mm -hmm. you know, versus, versus asking, name all the places your parents lived. They may, the interviewee may not think of those things right off the top. Right. Um, yes. Additional yes. things are, you know, what was it like when you proposed or were proposed to? When and where did it happen? How did you feel? Um, how did you find out you were going to be a, grand, a parent for the first time? Um, how did you feel? How did you hear the first, or excuse, excuse me, I said, how did you feel the first time um, that you heard you were going to be a grandparent? Right. And what you're doing, though, is that you're building a story. You're, it's not just the, the genealogy, but it's all the dynamics that made this family a family. Absolutely. And, and, and it adds more color to the story. It's not so on details in terms of facts and dates and locations and things like that. It actually gives the people or the interviewee color. It adds color to their tree. It, it adds a personality. It, it gives it more breadth. That's right. And I mean, and they are structured, though. They are they are uh, designed to get to where you want the people to go. But it does at least put put some context around every question you're asking. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know we we're, we're down to some of the last you told us about uh, session five. So let's talk about work, career, and military. Just how so are you this, going about getting that that information? So um, the, one of the reasons why I structured this particular session towards the end was because um, my father-in-law is a um, he's a Vietnam veteran, and up until um, this interview, and even still now, I'm, he's got six kids, and out of those six children, they know very few details about what happened when he was in Vietnam. He very rarely talks about it, but for some reason, whenever I came around, periodically, he would tell me things that he had not told his children, so I knew that if I asked him questions about his experience in the military, that I would need to spend the time beforehand asking other questions to build up the rapport, to build up the trust for him to be able to open up to me more. And now I know way more about his military experience um, than, than his kids. You actually had to tell them things um, because of the question, the way that he answered the questions that I asked. And 
Um, you know, and this is something that you have to be cognizant of, especially in the age that we are in now where there are a lot of veterans who are su suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, from things that mm -hmm. they saw and things that they experienced being in the military. And so you have to be aware of that. And people could be suffering from PTSD situations and, and occurrences that took place in their family structure. Um, you know, for, for a person, the first set of questions that, you know, that we consider fairly easy and straightforward, some, some of those things could, could set some stuff off. Um, so you have to be very cognizant of that. Um, and even in a work environment, you know, you know, people are really attached to their job. They spend a lot of time there. And so in them doing that and, and, you know, retiring from these positions, they may be more emotional about some of the things that took place. What if the person was offered a golden handshake? Like, what if they didn't just decide to retire on their own? What if they were pushed out? They could have some negative emotions attached to those things. You, you, you got to be really mindful of, of stuff like that. And then, you know, in terms of questions that are asked in that particular session, it's, you know, describe the first job for pay. Did you make enough money to live comfortably? How long did you have to work each day at your job? Um, in terms of um, military um, experience, it's broken up into three different areas, beginning of military experience, the military experience in life, and then after the military, when a person maybe retires out or maybe they're honorably discharged. Um, and I did that because you may start off session six and be okay until you get to the military experience part. And you might have to come back when you to interview that person and just talk about the military experience piece. And then Maybe if the person is up for it, talking about the after part, but you might have to come back for the after part. Mm -hmm. It really mm -hmm. all depends on, on who the interviewee is. That's right. That's right. So now we're into session seven. Yes. And this is my favorite session of all of these. And the reason why I like this one is it's called totally random and personal is because for the most part, some of this, most of this stuff is not on the surface genealogically related. You know, it's not, it's not popping family history, like straight out of the top, you know, but, but it, it adds color to the person. What was your first concert you ever went to? In fact, on my Facebook page, um, I actually just asked this question. I couldn't believe that 144 people responded to what was your first concert. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to ask that question and no one's going to pay attention to it. But so many folks were into it, and the, and the responses were hilarious. I remember one of our Genia buddies said, talked about Frankie Lyman, and we were trying to figure out who had the, the, the most, the oldest concerts that somebody went to, and it was actually um, the person with Frankie Lyman. Um, additional questions are, what kind of musical instruments um, have you learned to play? Um, what would you consider the most important inventions during your lifetime? Um, what's the yeah, most valuable I like that. thing you own? Yeah, what's the most valuable thing you own? Um, who is the person who has had the most single largest effect on your life, either positive or negative? Why? Um, name your favorite sports teams. Um, what's your favorite TV show? You know, a lot of times we focus on what has happened, a lot of, and sometimes we don't actually talk about what is happening right now. So there are questions throughout the, um, the, the primer that are um, current times and not just necessarily asking about the past. Um, something else, if you could hire any artist, living or dead, to paint your portrait or photograph you, who would you pick? Um, what is your biggest obstacle right now? Um, where do you see yourself in five years? And, you know, and for a genealogist, how do you want to be remembered? Hmm. Very good question. Yes. 
Yes. I mean, I wonder if we probably, I'm, I'm looking at all the people in the chat room. I wonder what would happen if we started interviewing each other. <laughs> we would have. Well, a and you know what? Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, and, and that's the beauty of this is that, you know, you can use this, this guide as a uh, something for you to be able to write your own personal story. As family historians, we always forget that we ourselves have a story. We focus so much on our family members, our ancestors, to the point where we forget that our individual collective story is just as important. And, you know, one of the things I hate to see is when a, a researcher passes away or, you know, maybe they, they have to put their research down for a period of time or maybe indefinitely, when they, and they haven't bothered to capture their own story. You know, have you used yourself as a source in your database for what you know and what you remember? Um, have you interviewed yourself? Maybe we all need to do it as an exercise. Perhaps we pick a month. Maybe during October of this year, we all say, yes, it's Family History Month, and normally we focus, we have all these workshops and, and classes and things like that. Maybe during October of this year, you make a vow to interview yourself and document your experiences. And that would be such a empowering exercise uh, for everyone. I think so. Because yes, we you're right. We are we spend a lot of time gathering information about everybody else, and we forget we all are we are also a legacy of which we need to document our life experiences. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that in the in this digital age, you know, everyone you know, my age group has a, had a baby book, right? You know, where your parents went and bought a baby book, they put in, oh, this is how much they baby weighed and, you know, the, the, the length or the height. And, um, you know, uh, this is when they said the first word, blah, blah, blah. For my generation, we don't have that. We catalog those things in our phones, you know, in our mobile devices or on our computers. And so one or on Facebook. I, I've seen the baby pictures from 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 the sonogram until the birth <laughs> on Facebook. Until the birth, exactly. You you see all that. It's all documented on Facebook. What if Facebook says, "Okay, we're done. No more Facebook." People, what are people going to do? So one of the things that I decided to do because I figured emails is not going anywhere anytime soon is I set up an email address for my son. And periodically, when things happen, I email my son. I send him pictures. I send him stories. I talk about different things that happen just in case my, you know, I don't get everything off my phone or, or my hard drive has an issue or whatever. My son's got that email address. And when I build his, his first year book, I can pull stories out of the emails that I sent my son versus me sitting down later on trying to figure out how I'm going to put all this information together. Nope, I've already got all the content. Wow. That is, I bet there's a comment coming out. What a sweet idea. And indeed, it is It is a sweet idea. I love it. I love it. Well, we have gone through the ultimate family history interview primer. So what kind of words of wisdom do you want to leave with all of the listeners tonight? I would just like to encourage everyone to interview you know, we, we get so stifled behind our computers during research, just type and type and type in a way or, or, you know, going into courthouses to go and find documents or archives or libraries. 
And oftentimes, especially in research trips, I find folks focus so much on getting the documents until they forget about the personal stories that they can get from their relatives that they're staying with or that they can meet with while they're on site in those locations. And so I just encourage everyone, you know, make, make, it, make, it, make it a goal this year to interview someone in your family. I had to be deliberate about interviewing my own mother. I didn't even think about interviewing my mom. And one day I pulled out a list of questions and I interviewed my mother and I have some of the funniest stories I have ever heard from her because I actually sat there and, and dedicated the time to interviewing my mom. And, you know, my mom's not necessarily super old, but at some point my mom's not going to be here anymore and I'm not going to be able to ask her those questions. So my admonishment, my challenge to everyone is, number one, find someone in your family to interview this year. And during the month of October, and maybe we can make this a, a something, a, a, you know, a wider event, is to interview ourselves as family historians and genealogists and document our story this October. Okay, October, we're going to set that goal and, and keep talking about it. So, Absolutely. Nika, how can, how can people get a hold of the Ultimate Family History Interview Primer? So there are a couple ways that you can get a hold of the Ultimate Family History Interview Primer. One of them is through my website, whoisnikasmith.com. You can also search on MagCloud, M-A-G-C-L-O-U-D.com. It's also available there for purchase. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Nika. This has been just a wonderful discussion tonight. You have given everybody the structure. You have given everybody a guide. And so now it's time to take the challenge and go to the next level. So thank you so much for coming on tonight and sharing this information with us. So everyone, I want you to remember, yes, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. Now, you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning. Also, as I mentioned to you all earlier, remember to log into the discoverfreedman.org website for a special announcement tomorrow concerning the Freedman's Bureau indexing project. That announcement will be made at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Central and 11 a.m. Mountain. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. And my website is www.geniebroots.org. I look forward to you joining me next Thursday Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Nika. Good night, Miss Bernice.